0: It's a real joy to be with you all. We've had part of you with us for the last couple of years with Kirsten, being in our program in Charlotte, and uh, she is a delight. She's not only a student, but is also working at the seminary and is a great blessing. She's the first face. Many who come in the door, she's the reception person and doing a lot of other things as well, and she's a great first face for people to see. Uh, Great smile, great personality, and a godly young woman. I uh, really enjoyed hearing you all sing out as well. That was beautiful. That was encouraging. And uh, the Pastor, I, I, pastor's asked me, Duane has asked me to talk about the importance of counseling in the local church. And you don't have a handout for that, and that actually gives me more freedom <laughs> just to do whatever I want. Um, and if I have time at the end, uh, maybe give you a chance to ask some questions. But I want to say something in the beginning that has been such an encouragement to me is that as someone who's been involved in biblical counseling for many years, in most churches where biblical counseling takes root, it's usually someone other than the preacher who gets excited about it. And it's really unusual for the preaching pastor to actually go through the training and the certification like he's just finished his ACBC certification. And that is such a blessing. Uh, I've been involved with seminary students for over 30 years now, uh, teaching at RTS for the last four and a half, and I actually notice among pastors, there are some pastors that you can't get into the study because they always want to be around people, but Reformed pastors tend to be the ones you can't get out of the study to be able to be with people, and it's a blessing to have someone who is spending time both in the study and outside of the study, and some of what I'm going to talk about actually is the benefits Uh, you have by having pastors who are engaged both in the public and the private ministry of the Word. And I think it's the private ministry of the Word has been neglected a lot in terms of really it being the ministry of the Word. One of my big concerns for the church is churches are tending now to outsource their shepherding, often to people who aren't doing it in a biblical way. So it's kind of a double whammy. And actually, The reason that Carolyn and I made the decision almost just over five years ago to come to Charlotte, we we were living in San Diego. It never is like that in San Diego. (laughs) And we'd been in the same church. We helped to plant 26 years earlier. I was teaching part-time at uh, John MacArthur's university. I was involved in a counseling center ministry. And when you've been someplace a long time, they give you a lot of freedom to do what you want in the church. I was doing a little writing. It was like my perfect life but when RTS Charlotte approached and said that they'd started a program in biblical counseling, and the idea being that we, we were training future church leaders, uh, pastors to be equipped, uh, and also women, the Titus II, women uh, helping young, older or more mature women helping younger women, and there were not the people who had kind of the background in the biblical counseling movement that were available, and so Psalm 90 was really an influence to us in verse 12, where the psalmist, it says, teach us to number our days, that we present a heart of wisdom. And, you know, and then later in verse 17, establish the works of our hands. And so as we were in our late 50s and considering how could we best use the you know, final 15 or so years of productive ministry, we determined that the opportunity to come out here in spite of the weather Uh, was what we should do. And we're very thankful how the Lord has blessed us with students like Kirsten. And we're thankful, we really see, I mean, it's exciting here in this region, we see more so in Charlotte, a recovery of the responsibility. It's something the Reformers got, the Puritans got, and it's been neglected in the last century. Uh, From my standpoint, just giving a little bit of a, a personal testimony, I was actually in college. Actually, Carolyn and I were friends in high school. I wanted to be more than friends. That's all I got in high school. College, we were more serious. And a group of us kind of reformed renegades at Baylor University. Uh, one guy was a psychology major. He said, you know, there's this guy we, I've just heard of that's written a book saying that there's a lot of problems with psychology and people ought to use the Bible to counsel, to help people. I thought, that's the sounds like a good idea to me. I don't know, you know why that would be so unusual. What I remember, well that would have been Jay Adams, this would have been mid to late 70s when I heard about Competent to Counsel which came out in about 19, 1970, um, and later on, uh, again I won't go into the whole thing, but we wound up in a tent making ministry in Saudi Arabia in the early 1980s, and I was suddenly kind of the battlefield promotion where the pastor got kicked out of the country. And I became the tent-making pastor of this group of two or three hundred people in this English-speaking, very diverse church. And they started coming to me for help. And in God's providence, I had read Competent to Counsel, Christian Counselor's Manual by Adams, and I gained confidence that the Word of God has answers. And I remember going into situations Here I am, this 23, 24-year-old kid, and this couple the age of my parents are having a fight. And they're in Saudi Arabia, so she doesn't really have anywhere to go. (laughs) And I'm thinking, well, I know the Word of God. And I can honestly say, not that I have answers to everything. Actually, I tweeted that recently. Like, people think because you're teaching counseling that you know everything. I don't know everything. But the Word of God is sufficient and comprehensively speaks to every single problem. I've never faced a problem in counseling to which the Word of God did not speak authoritatively. And sufficiently now sometimes that means I need to study or thankfully now 50 years in uh, to the movement there have been a lot of people doing a lot of great work in different areas so anything you come up with somebody has been dealing with but I've been so blessed to see the power of the Word of God and also the wonderful transformed lives I know some people who were here this morning and some of you are involved in counseling and one of my favorite counseling passages in Psalm 19, where he says that the word of God transforms the heart, enlightens the eyes. It's amazing to see what God does. And it's a privilege to get to do that. And we live, we live in a good time. Uh, so some of you may know, actually, that J. Adams, and you know, I look at J. Adams as kind of a Martin Luther figure. Martin Luther didn't discover the gospel. Uh, Martin Luther reminded people of the gospel who had lost sight of it. And J. Adams did not invent biblical counseling. J. Adams showed up when there was a desperate need for a reformation in counseling because the church had imbibed secular psychology uncritically and that shepherds had abandoned their post and were not shepherding. And he called the church to the sufficiency of Scripture to help people. And uh, this is what my call is going to be to you tonight. Uh, and so you may be aware, just as very recently, J. Adams passed away. And uh, he was over 90 years old. He was living in near Spartanburg, actually. We got to see him uh, not long before he passed away. COVID prevented more recent contact. Uh, and actually, some of what I'm going to share with you tonight, uh, they wrote a Beth Striff, which is just a big word for a tribute book for Jay. And actually, some of what I'm going to share with you tonight is my chapter in that book. Uh, and I had the privilege of studying under Jay for my doctor of ministry at Westminster, California. Anyway, so I want to talk about why the church needs to shepherd people, which uh, should be really obvious, but it has not been obvious. Uh, and even today, those who embrace the responsibility of this church to shepherd people and those who embrace the word of God as sufficient to help people with their spiritual problems. We are a very small and yet growing minority. And even as we, like I said, we came to Charlotte and I think there are always faithful shepherds who are doing biblical counseling who aren't necessarily part of ACBC or our movement formally, but we were in some ways discouraged to see how few there were, how few there are, and our mission is to expand that. So uh, just, again, to begin, so one aspect uh, would be just to say that we believe the church itself is important And you say, well, we all know that. But even with COVID, it's been interesting to see how many people view church as unnecessary. They view church as something that you can just sit and watch a screen from home and that's all you need. They don't understand what the church is and what the church is to be. And Christianity is not merely about a personal relationship with Christ. It's about being incorporated into the covenant community of the people of God who minister to each other and help each other through uh, life uh, the church is precious it was you know bought with the blood of Christ the church is central to god's plan for this age he says i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it uh, another passage first timothy 3:15 which i can't quote from memory but he says, I write so you'll know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. And so the, the church is central in God's plan. The book of Acts is a book about planting churches as people were added to the church. And the church is where God's people ought to be able to go to get help for the problems of the soul. We're offered medical doctors. Uh, when people have physical problems, we sometimes need the police or other people, but there are numerous problems, the ordinary struggles people have in life. The Word of God has answers, and especially within the church, uh, we have the resources we need. We've been given an infallible and sufficient word, we've been given pastors and teachers to uh, equip the saints and to care for the saints, we've been given gifted women to care for the less mature women. We've been given the means of grace in the public ministry of the word and the sacraments. Uh, we've been given many gifted members who can uh, serve the Lord. The, the launch verse for the biblical counseling movement was actually uh, from Dr. Adams, who is a Presbyterian. But in Romans, in Romans 15, 14, uh, the term competent to counsel in the first book came from Romans 15, 14, where he said, "'Concerning you, my brethren, I myself am also convinced "'that you yourselves are full of goodness, "'filled with all knowledge, "'and able also to admonish one another.'" And the word admonish is from the Greek word nutheteo, where some people have heard the expression nuthetic counseling. But uh, the Apostle Paul is not just speaking to the elders or pastors in Rome, he's speaking to the entire congregation how in the one anothering of the community of God's people, uh, we're here to help encourage one another in the Lord, and which can be rebuke, it can be exhortation, uh, affirmation. And then the church has the Holy Spirit among us, in us, who is working to transform us. So the Lord has given the church what we need. So, uh, So biblical counseling is necessary for the church. Now, even by the term counseling, some people misunderstand. I remember when I was a kid, like you'd see a sitcom or something, and there's a guy smoking a pipe, and there's a lady lying down on the couch telling about her dreams or something. Um, But there are even people today, among Christians, even some would call themselves biblical counselors, who don't like the word counseling because they want to say soul care or other terms, which I don't think these other terms are wrong. Uh, Even in certain governmental circles, they don't want us to call ourselves counselors because the word counselor is supposed to be someone who is professionally licensed by the state. But counsel is one of our words in the Bible. We had it before they did. (laughs) And so I'm not prepared to give it up or walk away from it. Uh, You know, Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, By the way, counseling is simply giving advice. There's both good and bad. Um, I gave you this scoffer example in Psalm 1, a classic example of bad counseling is Rehoboam's uh, friends, foolish younger friends who gave him terrible advice that cost him most of the kingdom. But the Bible speaks much of how we should uh, listen to wise counsel. Uh, And again, just numerous verses. I will not quote all of them proverbs five one five a wise man will hear and under, increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel and you could take a concordance depending on the version by the way if you 're wondering i 'm using the new American standard version, uh, but you you can take a concordance, and there 's so many passages about counsel, especially in the book of Proverbs. The wise listen to counsel fools don 't listen to counsel, wise counsel leads to success so Counseling is is a good thing, and actually God himself is the ultimate counselor. Uh, The psalmist says in Psalm 16, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Uh, The word of God counsels us. Psalm 119.24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. And so biblical counseling is, is under the supposition that God has given us in his word the best wisdom in the universe, which is powerful, and we give people wise advice from scripture that will help them to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. That is our objective. Uh, there are some of these, I don't know if you've seen some of these Four Views books and Five Views books on counseling where different Christian counselors give their perspective and there's the last chapter is usually the biblical counseling chapter, but in one of the most famous Christian psychologists writing one of these books even says, the goal of my counseling is not sanctification. I say, well, I completely 180 degrees disagree with that. The goal of my counseling is sanctification. You know, Paul says, I want to present every man complete in Christ. And again, the Bible is the, the source of the counsel we offer. A problem we have in general, and again, I don't need to dwell on this here because of the kind of church you have here, but there's been a problem in general in the last 50 or more years that pastors have been reluctant to counsel. Leaders have been reluctant to counsel, and there are various reasons. I think sometimes in reform circles, and I'm a reformed Baptist, and there was actually a reformed Baptist who wrote a booklet about the centrality of preaching, and he complained that Counseling will distract you from the public ministry of the word and just like everything needs to go into preparing your sermon. And uh, I think this is creating a false dichotomy. Actually, I love how Lloyd-Jones talks about it. He said, preaching is the most important calling of the pastor, but it's not the only calling of the pastor. And my contention is going to be pastors who counsel are better preachers and and vice versa. Each helps the other to, to do better. And so it's not competition. You know, the apostle Paul describes how in Ephesus he, pub- he both publicly and from house to house ministered the word. And so counseling is the private ministry of the word uh, under the oversight in my view of, of the elders. Uh, some pastors do not believe or recognize that counseling is a significant part of their calling. Uh, and they're afraid again. I'm going to be distracted, like waiting on tables in Acts six. But the difference is, like Peter says, shepherd the flock of God. So does Paul in Acts. Uh, this is not a side part, you know, an extra side job you're doing. This is the ascent. shepherds take care of sheep, and sometimes you have to leave the ninety-nine to care for the one, and and that's what you're called to do. Uh, you'll hear pastors saying, "Well, that's not my gift." Well. I mean, there will be some who are more gifted than others. There will be some who are more comfortable than others. But if you're going to take on the office of shepherds, you have to like sheep. (laughs) And you have to care for sheep. Uh, There's one book, I I love the expression, uh, Deepak Raju and Jeremy Pierre wrote a book. And my favorite line in the book is, shepherds should smell like sheep. Uh, They should be around the sheep and care for the sheep. Um, Another thing I've sometimes heard to say, well, if you just preach the word well enough then you won't have to counsel anymore. Well, that makes Paul wrong, and some of you are laughing because it is laughable. Um, And Lloyd-Jones talks about the true preaching will deal with personal problems, and it will save time for the pastor if it's done well, but he also says, I'm not saying that the preacher should never do any personal work, far from it. A lot of times, good preaching will draw out the counseling where you deal with someone who is depressed, like I'm going to talk about tomorrow, or the the struggles of the psalmist, or someone who wants to die, and say there may be someone here. And uh, By the way, another aspect that I'm sure other pastors and preachers in the room could tell you as well is counseling actually shows you how little of what you're saying is getting through sometimes. (laughs) And I've had times when someone would come in on Monday, and they would want answers. I thought, I talked about that for 45 minutes on Sunday morning. And somehow the individual where you know I was going 50 miles an hour and slowing down to 20 miles an hour, they get it, or the face-to-face thing. Uh, I think a major reason why pastors don't counsel is they do not feel equipped to counsel. None of us likes to do something we're not good at. And in a typical seminary program, and this would be RTS, the way it has been, but most all, every major seminary. How many counseling courses do you think would be required for a Master of Divinity at at all the major seminaries in the United States? Five, three, one. There's typically one course, which is almost purely theoretical. And I've actually made the argument, would you send someone out to preach who had only taken one preaching course in which he never actually got to preach and never saw anyone else preach? He just heard about the theory of preaching that's how counseling is often taught. And so no wonder pastors are terrified of counseling. And I, I will tell you, even as the 23-year-old young guy just getting started in Saudi Arabia, I was much more comfortable behind the pulpit than in someone's living room when a husband and a wife were on the verge of you know, divorce or separation or there had been adultery or something that, Uh, and we've seen this at the seminary, we have counseling labs like we have preaching labs where they practice on each other. And one of the students said, the preaching labs are a lot easier because you know what you're going to (laughs) say. When you're in counseling lab, they talk back and they go in directions that uh, you're not prepared for. And so uh, David Pallison, who also recently passed away, uh, writes about this quite a bit in terms of how reformed pastors are prepared for ministry, and even sometimes how they go through ordination. And Though I mean, it's important to ask theological questions in ordination and make sure they know the languages or all the things you may require in your denomination. But sometimes there's never a question asked about their philosophy of soul care, their commitment to soul care, their approach to soul care. Um, and again, why, you, you would not want to hire a pastor who had never ever preached a sermon before and yet, or never seen a good sermon preached. But a lot of pastors go in and that's where they are. And so no wonder they don't feel prepared. And, I've seen many pastors will even say, it's it's taught in some seminaries, not in my classes, but in some seminaries. Basically, you meet with somebody three to five times, and if that doesn't solve it, you refer out. And that would be both because of a lack of confidence in their own ability. You think, we need some kind of specialist for this. Uh, Also, you don't want to waste too much time on this kind of work. And I just think that is completely unbiblical. Um, Some pastors would like to think their people aren't having all that many problems. Uh, That's where when you dig in with people, actually when we came to the seminary, even among the students, not Kirsten, but uh, some problems were emerging. And somebody had been there for 30 years says, we never knew we had, We we never had these problems before. I said, you had these problems. It's just now that we're starting to counsel students, the problems that are under the surface emerge. And in so many churches where There's abuse going on. There's pornography addiction going on. There's substance abuse going on. There are unresolved conflicts. There are marriages that are just stagnant and decaying. And everybody looks fine at church, but there are problems. And that can be kind of shocking. Um, Heath Lambert in one of his books said his first week as a pastor, uh, he was excited that three people asked for appointments, he says, well, I wonder if they're going to ask me to prove limited atonement or maybe explain the doctrine of the Trinity to them uh, or predestination. <laughs> well, no, again, it's a couple who've been married 50 years and who can't stand each other. It's a mother whose daughter has been molested. You know, it's another mom with an out-of-control teenager who is making the house unsafe. That's the, you know, those problems exist, and when shepherds are among the sheep, these things emerge. Um, another reason some pastors don't do it is it can be kind of frustrating and discouraging. Uh, there are failures. There are times when you pour your heart into somebody and you spend time and you bear their burdens and it's hard work. I would say that an hour of counseling is similar, if not more, sometimes an effort to preaching a sermon, and preaching a sermon is exhausting. And to do, you know, it's messy, it's draining, it's discouraging, um, and yet again, that is part of the calling, which gets back to the outsourcing thing. One of my challenges in Charlotte has also been, is like again, since you're not from Charlotte, and I'm, I'll be, I'll smooth out the details. But there's a church in the area where a lot of churches in our area are kind of undecided between Christian psychology, which is integrating a little Bible and a lot of psychology versus our approach was so radically biblical, well, biblical in my opinion. We focus on using the Bible. And so there's a couple of churches who have sent us some of their most difficult cases. And by, God is actually in his kindness to us, worked in amazing ways. And just even going back to you know 30 years in Escondido and the typical experience, we saw the Lord work in many ways, but we saw a higher pro- proportion of people going away sad like the rich young ruler or something. We've just seen these churches have sent us some very difficult cases. We've counseled a lot of pastors and wives, and the Lord has seen fit many times to work in wonderful ways. But the response then from some of the senior pastors, the big churches, is when are you guys going to start a counseling center so I can send everybody to you? My answer is that's not what I want. What I want you to send me is men and women I can train so you can take care of your own sheep. So, I mean, referring out to a non-Christian or non-biblical kind of Christian center is one concern, but my mission in life is not to start giant biblical counseling centers all over the place that will replace the church. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have such centers, that's just not the best and most important thing that can happen. And uh, so, Moving on, so then, well, why must the church counsel back to what it means to shepherd the sheep? You know, Paul did say, preach the word. That's important. But you know, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God, of which God has made you overseers. And sheep have needs. When you, 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 I'll study sometimes with my interns. You go through Psalm 23. How does the good shepherd take care of the sheep? That sheep is writing as an individual sheep with a shepherd who walked to the valley of the shadow of death with him, who makes sure he's cared for, that his wounds are bound up. Um, and so that, that's what we've been called to do. And as we have a good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, we as under shepherds, under Christ, have that responsibility before God to be among the people, to care for the people and not to be too busy. This is another thing that often happens to me where people will contact me, not from my church, but other churches, uh, knowing we do some counseling, and say, well, could you counsel us? I say, well, have you talked to your pastor? Oh, no, he's way too busy. That's right. I've got lots of time on my hands (laughs) to take all the problems from all the churches in Mecklenburg County. No, I don't. Again, the sheep are your job. If you're too big, if you're too busy to care for sheep, uh, and actually there's a, there was a store, a department store in California, we first moved there, and they had behind every cash register, a little plaque that said, customers are not an interruption to your work, customers are your work. And that's what I would wanna to say to church leaders, sheep are not an interruption to your work. They are your work. Now, I realize that you you can't neglect studying the Bible to prepare sermons, and there are some people who could take a disproportionate amount of your time, and you have to be wise with that, uh, especially people who are not members of the church that are necessarily entrusted to you. But but overall, I mean, it's actually a privilege. What a privilege it is that Christ has entrusted the sheep that he purchased with his blood to us but it's also, you know, when it says in Acts, Hebrews thirteen seventeen we will give an account to God for our leadership, it's something to be taken very, very seriously. And I'm just speaking personally even that I do counseling through RTS and IBCD. I try to do counseling that's strategic either to uh, train people so people will watch Caroline and me when we counsel couples or we counsel men and women individually if students like Kirsten could be. Watching it's a way to learn is to see it happen kind of like, people studying medicine, watching the doctors operate before they start operating themselves. Another thing we give priority to outside the church is church leaders and missionaries, because we figure we've had multiple cases of pastors and wives who don't have anybody in their own context to go to, their marriages are in trouble, we've worked with them. But overall, my my responsibility even as a pastor in our church is to our sheep, and I I can't do everything for everybody, back to the mission of of getting more people people to do this. Uh, David Pallison also pointed out that the people in the secular or even the Christian counseling world who have centers actually would envy us in terms of a lot of what we have because we have the community built into the church that they don't have. They get 50 minutes with this person for X number of weeks and the effectiveness of that is debatable very often. But God has designed the church as the community where people will be cared for, in, including in, in the crises of life. Uh, and even the fact that for people in the church now, and I'm sure in your church churches, if others are represented, you've already been trained to say, well, if you're having a struggle, the first place you should go is to your shepherds, under shepherds, godly women in the church, maybe it'll help other women. And you already have a relationship and and this can be uh, utilized in ways that uh, the other models don't offer, apart from the fact that we've got the Bible, and they they don't. Um, There are also warnings in scripture, which is another motivation in Ezekiel 18, when you read about the unfaithful shepherds, and um, that's a scary passage. I won't read the whole chapter at all, but it's the Lord rebuking the false shepherds, Ezekiel 34, sorry. Um, the false shepherds who have not bound up the weak and, and helped the wounded, uh, the sheep have been scattered. And so uh, there's blessing for those who've been faithful, First Peter 5, 4. that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, but there's also warning. Um, So moving on, again, touching upon this briefly, but I think it's something you can appreciate as church members, how having pastors who are involved both in the public ministry of the word and the personal ministry of the word makes both better. Uh, While great preaching can sometimes, do counseling from the pulpit. I'm not saying you're holding a session exactly, but when you preach from the pulpit, how to deal with fear and anxiety and biblical principles for reconciliation, sometimes people will be able to take that home and use it at home, and you won't even have to get involved and the Lord would have done things you didn't know about. (sighs) But at the same time, as, as another aspect would be as you're preaching that way and preaching practically, Uh, Not only are you helping people individually, you're also helping them to help each other. If you have a church full of people who know about biblical peacemaking, and then when there's conflict or trouble that they experience, then even without the leaders getting involved, uh, they're going to be helping each other, encouraging each other. Um, They're going to be uh, caring, uh, and, and sometimes if necessary, involving others in it. And so... Again, one of the callings also for those of us who are leaders is, like Ephesians 4 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that it's not just us. And quite frankly, pastors alone can't do it. Uh, The the passage that uh, we've used over the years in IBCD is in Exodus 18. And this is where poor Moses is judging the people all by himself, and his father-in-law sees that he's uh, overwhelmed and part of the relief was to, you know, to appoint other gifted men, other judges, so that it, you know, Moses would take the hard cases, and then uh, the other judges could take the ordinary cases in the course of life. And so uh, one way we're equipping people, I mean, some of it can be more formal in terms of identifying these are ladies who are trained, gifted, uh, to whom women who are struggling can go. Uh, But a lot of it is just you have lots of people in the church who are just thinking that way without it even taking place in a a formal way. Uh, And what I find, again, speaking to those who are leaders and appreciating your leaders, the best equipping that I've had for counseling has been preaching. Preaching the books of the Bible. And those of you who want to get better, there's an expression I use. I think I coined it. It's on my website. I haven't patented or anything, but it's, the question is, how thick is your Bible? And what I mean by that is not whether you have a large print or small print. I mean, how much of the Bible can you use spontaneously to help people with their problems and their struggles? And consecutive expository preaching that I've done for decades has been the best equipping I've ever had, more than reading counseling books. And I would say to you that if you want to become really good at counseling one another admonishing and encouraging each other not just to be able to find 25 proof texts that deal with anxiety or fear but actually to to study the bible carefully find somebody who will let you teach them the bible if it's teaching your kids the book of ephesians if it's teaching a a ladies uh, class or a sunday school class or a a home group or just your own in-depth study Um, and so one thing that should make preachers really good at counseling is they're the ones who should know the Bible the best. But also counseling makes preachers better at preaching because it keeps your feet on the ground. Uh, And I'm sure that's a great help for your pastor here is that I've been listening to beginning preachers preach for 40 years or more now. And most common characteristic of especially young preachers, is they preach sermons to other young preachers. <laughs> and they talk about what fascinates them, and they don't speak to the realities that people are facing in life. And if you sit in your books and in your study and you spend your whole week with the Puritans and the Reformers, which are, those are great company to keep, but if you've not been around the people in your own congregation and understanding the struggles that they're going through, you're probably going to preach a sermon that would have worked really well at some other time and some other place that doesn't relate that well to the struggles that your people are having now. Jay uh, Adams said something like, if you spend all your time with commentaries when you preach, you're going to sound like a book. And spending time with people and seeing the struggles they have. And again, you have to be careful because you can't get up there and say, well, you know, I was talking to Joe yesterday about his struggles with the internet and we're, we're not going to do that. But... When you're around people who are struggling in marriage, overwhelmed with fear of COVID or whatever, you know, people who have unresolved conflict, you're thinking, I, want, I know the word of God has answers for this. Am I preaching sermons that are actually speaking to the, need, the real needs and the real lives of the people uh, in my congregation? Um, so it, it, it compels you to speak, to preach, to teach in a way that addresses the challenges people face now. Um, Another benefit a friend of mine pointed out too for people doing ministry is that when you see what God does to the word individually in counseling, it gives you hope that maybe he's doing the same thing to the public ministry of the word even though you don't always see it happening. And that, again, to, to appreciate what it's like for your preacher sometimes to be a preacher is you spend 20 hours preparing a sermon, you pour out your heart for half an hour, and people say thank you and they go home. And you have no idea if anything happened. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you always see great things happen. But, um, and it, it helps me to see, well, here I see how this marriage has been put back together. This person who is living in fear is in confidence. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with Caroline, actually, is we, we walk every... Actually, she's on a streak of 330-something days of 10,000 steps a day. My job to make sure she gets there. We share about cases, learning from each other. But to see her excitement about, I read this verse, and the lights came on, and this girl just got it, and she was so excited. and it, it, But it also makes it, yeah, the Bible really does that kind of stuff. It makes me want to tell others. It makes me want to engage in, in ministry in that way. So the public and private ministries of the word uh, go together. That's the way God has designed it. Also, um, it helps us to fulfill the Great Commission. I, I don't think I've knocked on doors passing out tracts since I was in high school. I don't know if that makes me a bad man, but I'm, I'm not the kind, when I'm on an airplane, I know you hear all these pastors and they convert the whole row before they're, you know, the plane is in descent and they're just so gregarious and they're talking to people. I'm a guy like, leave me alone. I'm on the plane. I'm going to read, take a nap. Um, if you want to talk to me, I guess I will. But most of the conversions I've seen in, per, in personal work have been People who come in for counsel, and this is actually when when God is using the counsel within your local church, people in your church sometimes will tell their friends, you know, if you've got a problem, my pastor, or there are women in our church who can help. And Caroline, right before we left San Diego, she had a couple ladies who came in who were converted to the counseling. They're people who are nominal Christians. We live in the Bible Belt, and they they come to hear, you know, "I, I need help. And we've seen many, many people come to faith that way. Uh, And that's exciting. And of course, also the Great Commission isn't just getting people converted, it's making disciples, and that's so much of what counseling is to be. Um, So then continuing. So counseling is necessary for the church. And then the church is necessary for counseling in that needy Christians need the church. Um, This is back to also the concern that people don't treat the church as important as it should be. And, you know, thinking of Raleigh-Durham area, Cary, Apex, all the places around here, there are so many people who claim to be Christians, who have struggles, who get ungodly counsel or no help at all. And this is a place where I think there's really potential for churches to have an outreach and outreach. It's something you have to do carefully and strategically. Um, But, I mean, again, my mission would be to get lots of churches doing it, but quite frankly, another thing that can happen, and I think that's already happening to some degree at the counseling ministry, I believe in Apex, is that you have an opportunity by offering biblical wisdom to people, and as people are helped, they tell other people, it can both it can be evangelistic. It can also impact the churches, other churches in the community. I've had churches when we were in Southern California where uh, this couple who had been biting terribly and they're doing better and they've gone back and they've told their elders. And a couple of elders came in and saw me and said, what did you say to them? <laughs> How does this work? And I it said, it's not that we're magic Jedi people, that uh, we were simply you know, applying the Word of God to the situation. Here's how we did it. And, you know, what I would love to do is not have you send me the next couple. I would like to, you know, like to train some people in your church uh, to to do these things. And it's actually one of the challenges, especially in counseling, in a counseling center context where evangelicals come, when you hear the advice they've been getting (laughs) from either secular counsel or nominally Christian counsel, and again to, I have no idea to whom I'm speaking and I want to speak kindly and gently. So I would say that Christian counselors who are state licensed, they want to help people. Uh, They care about people. I think they can do some common grace good with the equipment, equipping they've gotten, they've received. But they've not been trained in most cases in the Bible, even some who have gone to Christian schools. They get just a little sliver of Bible and a massive dose of psychology. That's what they're going to primary, primarily use. We need people who know the Bible well and have great confidence in the Bible, that that's going to be the tool to which they go. Uh, there are. There was a while back when a famous preacher in Atlanta made a claim that he could preach a whole sermon without using the Bible, and he might do that sometimes. And I don't know why he would have said such a preposterous thing. Dr. Kruger from our seminary wrote some blogs about it. But there are people now who even call themselves biblical counselors who say, well, sometimes I don't use the Bible. What what is gonna come out of your mouth any better than that? what wisdom do you have that you have more confidence in than the scriptures? But people who are in need, people who are struggling, people who are miserable, uh, they're not getting the wisdom of the word of God. One of the things we do sometimes in our classes is we show videos of secular counselors and nominally Christian counselors who are primarily psychological integrationists and not using the Bible very much. And I actually had Heath Lambert over one time and I was showing him one of these videos for entertainment in the evening while he was teaching one of our classes during the day and he was watching, it was actually, we were watching Carl Rogers counsel a lady, and he started yelling at the television, This poor woman! You know, she was begging for help, and he would not offer her help. But even when you watch the so called Christian counselor in some cases, uh, people need wisdom, they need help. And, and the church should be the place uh, to which people go. And it's so sad when the church refers out to therapies, so-called, that I think the church leaders might be shocked to find out what's being said and taught in these so-called therapeutic situations. Um, Now, there's another concern as well, is sometimes people in crisis, they say, well, they want to come to a counseling center, even like a biblical counseling center, because they think, well, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed about my problem. I really don't want my church leaders to know about it. I'd like to talk to a stranger. Um, I can understand how we would sometimes prefer privacy, but who knows you better than your shepherds? I don't know you at all. How can I, in, in a you know, one-hour snapshot of your life, really gain insight into you that uh, you know, you're, you're the, those who have been entrusted the care of your soul have not been able to get over a period of months or years, and then when you're done with me, you know, I've got, X number of slots a week, I can help people outside of my church. You know, we won't be, I can't collect all the people I've ever counseled as my friends that I spend time every week with. You're not gonna have the ongoing care you need. So I think we, people in the churches need to be trained that their shepherds are there, the older women, the mature women are there, and that is where they should go and to rely upon uh, the, the resources the church Gives and the gifts the Lord has given the church. Um, one other thing I made, so the counseling is necessary for the church. Uh, the, the church is necessary for counseling. And then also the church is necessary for counselors. And this is another thing, and Paulison did a good job writing about this as well in terms of a lot of how Christian counseling was uh, taking place uh, and has been taking place for many years where if we understand Christian counseling or biblical counseling to be the private ministry of the word, then those who are practicing that need to be people who are deeply committed to the local church. And it is, again, disturbingly bizarre to me. Sometimes you'll have counseling centers, they say they're Christian counseling centers, and yet the people counseling there are not carrying out that ministry as members of local churches where that ministry is being overseen. Uh, I don't. Again, I don't want to abolish all biblical counseling center ministries separately. It would be nice to think the churches someday will just do all their own counseling in such places. will have no demand. There will always be demand outside, from the outside, for that. There can be a place for it. But those who are engaged in counseling, given that counseling is the personal ministry of the Word, they themselves need to be shepherded. They need, themselves need to have accountability. Um, and they need to be committed to the local church because the local church is the place where God is present. It's the place, uh, and Caroline has used the analogies all the way down. I can't remember, like you know, it's almost like you have the emergency room where there there's traumatic things have happened, people are in horrible situations, and you get lots of attention from those who are gifted to care for these urgent situations, but then it's kind of the rehab ward of the hospital where uh, they're in recovery and they're getting other help and care. And you, you have all these resources of the body of Christ and it moves all the way down until people who began, and many of the people who are the leaders in the biblical counseling movement today began biblical counseling where their marriage was in crisis 35 years ago. They went to a biblical counselor uh, they had to do the hard work of reorienting their marriage to biblical principles. They saw the power of the word of God. And, and by the end of the process, they're now helping others using the scriptures because of what God has done in their lives and how God has equipped them. So the church is what God has designed as, as the place where souls will be cared for. So um, I'm very thankful for the commitment of the churches in this area, including this one. I know there are others to soul care. I would wanna to try to encourage you. Um, I guess there's kind of a, an order of things and churches are in different places. But in my mind, the first thing a church needs to do, I don't have many different churches represented here. The first thing we need to do is make sure we're taking care of our own people. And In many churches, that means getting more people trained. It's great you've got a pastor who's got ACDC certification. You need women, especially. Uh, Caroline is absolutely overwhelmed with demand. Uh, just the seminary, the women who are seminary students plus the wives of seminary students, is a, there's a lot going on there where they need a godly older, they need a mama is what they need. And a lot of the people I've found in seminary are often kind of first-generation, if not first-generation Christians, they're first-generation reformed. They have no one else to go to. They've been displaced. That alone keeps her busy. And then we've got pastors in the area where they say, we've got this key leader, or we've got even this assistant pastor and his wife, and this elder and his wife, or this elder's wife. And there's just so much need. We need to get lots of women to be the tightest two women uh, and you, know, you can talk to Caroline afterwards. Give, she never imagined she'd be doing what she's doing uh, 12 years ago when she kind of launched into this role. But there's a great need for the church to equip people so that we can have a clear conscience that if someone in the church has a need, one is we're aware of their condition as shepherds, and then we have the resources to help them with the ordinary struggles that sheep have in a, a good church, And then sometimes what will happen is it expands beyond that, and I think it's already happened um, in in Apex, is that as you get more people trained and equipped, and as I've I've already mentioned this, that when people in your church are getting helped, then they have friends in other churches where there's no help. And when lives are transformed, then I've never had to advertise counseling for IBCD or at RTS. But by word of mouth, uh, people start coming towards the people in your church saying, we need help. And if, and sometimes the Lord can raise up within a church where you've got a little bit of excess capacity, where you can begin to impact other churches. Now, what we, were, we tried to do, in, especially in Southern California, is we didn't try to say to counselees, great, come to our church where you'll be shepherded. Uh, if they're in an evangelical church, we would try to get them to go to their leaders, to help their leaders, to educate their leaders, to encourage them to move ahead, and we would want to work with them. So the objective would be even to see the councilees as a way to make inroads into local churches so long as they're preaching the gospel so that more churches would have confidence in the word of God, would get over their fear, again, this should have been said more explicitly earlier, is we live in a day of specialization and people think, well, I couldn't help someone who's been traumatized or molested or, you know, all PTS or OCD or all these are the letters of the alphabet put together in different order, that there needs to be some specialist who can do this, and so we're just afraid of it. Again, medical things, we need doctors. Uh, really tough things, we need people on the Moses level who have, have expertise, but the the problems most people are facing, godly, mature Christians are the best people on earth to help them with the wisdom of the Word of God. And so, you know, to, to make it, you know, to have a goal to have an impact in the community, sometimes for the gospel for people coming in, but also to help equip churches so that more churches will be, have confidence that the Word of God can help people and that they can equip people in their own church get that accomplished so <laughs> I didn't pass out notes and I didn't follow mine very carefully um, I'd like to know if anybody has is it okay if I give people a chance to ask questions I've rambled for about 45-50 minutes um, does anybody have any question you want to ask and I think about biblical counseling probably in general but if you want something else I'm willing to give it a shot or tell you we'll talk later Yes? For lay people in the church who want to start being equipped, what would you suggest for the first time? I love that question. Thank you for asking that question. If you want a book afterwards, I will give you one. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting, in my life, uh, IBCD was established as originally CCF West in 1981, I believe, or 82. 82 and right now ibcd which has ibcd.org, is the website exists to equip people in local churches not at a seminary level but ordinary folks in local churches to do soul care and so there are hundreds of free resources on there the most uh, comprehensive beginning would be there's something called care and discipleship where it's essentially the acbc training that's been done in the area that you've gone through but there are also levels of certificates where ACBC for some people you've got to read over a thousand pages you've got to write a 60 or 70 page exam. Uh, IBCD gives the same basic training in terms of the lectures of 36 hours of lecture but then kind of a simpler test to show you do you know it yes I know it but it's It's kind of taking it at the junior college level instead of the graduate level or something like that. And so I think that's a a great place to begin would be you can listen to the audios for free or you can uh, subscribe and get the videos. The IBCD also has videos of, um, that are showing what counseling looks like uh, that is used a lot by the people going for ACBC training. I think a real need And this was not my idea, but my former operations director had the idea of saying, well, of all the people who start ACBC certification, probably it's only about 2% or less who finish, which means commendations here. (laughs) Um, But the other 98%, often they'll go to the class and they'll get stuck trying to write the exam. And so what IBCD created was a more attainable goal. Now, I thought 80% will do it. Realistically, maybe 30% do, but that's still 15 times more. And it's also the difference between just listening to the lectures and actually having to write something to make sure you understood it. It's just kind of a simpler level. So some churches have gone through it, like a group will get together. There's a church, large church in our area where they have like 50 people getting together and watching the videos and discussing them and working their way through that. So that is one of many possible ways Um, thanks for the question the book's yours (laughs) pick anyone you want well on that side of the table (laughs) there's also other things you can read and all kinds of directions you can go yes ibcd.org stands for the institute for biblical counseling and discipleship Okay. Yeah, it's actually ACBC is the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, and so in the history of the biblical counseling movement, again realizing biblical counseling could begin with Proverbs or something or before, but in terms of the the revival of biblical counseling that began fifty years ago, um, there were two organizations initially established. One was what's called Christian Counseling Education Foundation, which is still based in Uh, Philadelphia, Uh, IBCD was one of the early ones that was originally CCF West, but then they established something originally called NANC, the National Association of Nuthetic Counselors. And what it was meant to do was provide a kind of a national standard of certification that for people who wanted to be trained, it would be kind of parallel to getting state licensure, but it would be church leaders and it would not be at all under the government. it changed its name several years ago now to ACBC. But in that process, what it is, is that to get certified through ACBC or NANC, what used to be NANC, you have to take a course of, a, and it's all, anyway, a course of a certain number of hours, which is kind of a survey of biblical counseling, 30-something hours. You have to do reading both in theology and in biblical counseling, a certain amount of reading. You have to, observe biblical counseling, which can either be live with a certified counselor or that's where our organization, IBCD, which is another set of alphabet words, uh, anyway, has created videos where you can watch the counseling to observe. Then you have to take an exam. In the exam, they have a theology exam and a Bible, a theology exam and a counseling exam that when you pass that, then you actually do 50 hours of counseling with a mentor. And so it's a certifying organization that would be in, in, in the realm of counseling in our day would be among the most conservative organizations. And it's been around a long time. There are 2000 something uh, ACBC certified counselors scattered around mostly in the US. It's no, now there are people in many, many other countries around the world. So I would certainly encourage, how many people here are ACBC certified? So quite a few. That's the thing to do if, if you have the perseverance to do it. By the way, getting ACBC certified is like a lot of other training. Like I'm teaching in a seminary, and what I realized, the seminary in three years teaches you how to study the Bible so you can spend the rest of your life studying the Bible. It doesn't teach you all there is to know. If you take one class in all the Apolline epistles and you're in the class for 39 hours, You've barely scratched the surface, but you've been getting given an exposure. That's the way this training works as well. It's it's a great exposure and it's a lot of work for many people, but it's just it's kind of a launching pad, it's not the destination. But it's, you know these are good things. But again, there's some people who don't get certified who are wonderful at counseling, and there's some people who get certified who aren't as good as those people who haven't. But it's a it's a helpful, also it's a helpful way of if you know someone in some other state who needs biblical counsel, there's a network where you can have a starting place of where to find somebody. Right, so I can give a general answer. So if somebody had that question, I want to spend some time with them and kind of gauge where they are. There are some people who need to get their own act together before they could do it. There are some people who are very modest, but I mean the biblical answer is Romans 15, 14. Concerning you, I'm convinced you are full of goodness, Full of knowledge, able to encourage or admonish one another, that Paul's speaking to the church. uh, Everybody in this room is a counselor. Everyone in this room is given counsel, if not today, this week. The question is whether you're any good at it or not. And we all want to spend our lives becoming the kind of people Proverbs says you go to for wisdom your children, your friends, your neighbors, that you could be the person who would be speaking the Word of God to others, giving them the best possible wisdom. Uh, from the scriptures, and we should all be working at getting better at that. There'll be some people who are exceptionally gifted and diligent who will do a bunch of it, but we're all going to be doing some of it, and we all can do a lot to grow and to learn. Yeah, I think, actually, I, I, there was an article written by a secular guy saying how Darwin was the most important person in history of psychology even though that wasn't his focus but i think in the 19th century when you had the view of man change where a loss of the authority of scripture uh, the loss of understanding of who we are as being made in the image of god with a body and a soul with revelation to guide us for wisdom and man's autonomy you know now we've we're a product of chance over billions of years and then you have freud who comes along and guilt is a bad thing and uh, you know, linking Freud and Darwin, so I think what was done by the churches, you know, faithful churches, through you, know, you think you look in church history, and you had you know, soul care being written about during the Reformation. You had the Puritans writing about caring for people, but I think as through the 19th century, as the church fell into liberalism of different kinds, um, psychology began to take over in terms of here's how you help people. But, but the sad thing is that we shouldn't be surprised that the liberal denominations who deny the virgin birth, deny the resurrection, that they would not want to use the Bible to help people. The sad thing is so many evangelicals who, even fundamentalists who would have acknowledged the virgin birth and you know, even the inerrancy of scripture and the battle for the Bible, you might say in the last 50 or 60 years has gone beyond inerrancy to sufficiency. Where people will say, yeah, the Bible's true, but they would just have this very narrow scope. Yeah, the Bible tells you how to get saved, how to pray, um, but all the really big problems in life, you need this great science of psychology to help solve your problems. And that's where Jay Adams came along, where you had, going back into the 60s, the 50s, you had seminaries teaching psychology and de-emphasizing the Bible as the means of helping people. You had pastors being told to refer out and not to care for their own people. And so, you know, Jay Adams was a lot like Luther in that he would, extremely strong personality. I had uh, clashes with him sometimes. We were friends, but he, you know, but it took a very powerful personality, kind of an Athanasius guy saying, I don't care if the whole world thinks I'm wrong. I think they're all wrong and, and there, were, you know, there have been millions of people affected by him taking that stand. It's not that nobody was shepherding sheep before, but there was a, a fundamental, and even today, most evangelical seminaries, even many reformed seminaries, not in Charlotte, thankfully, right now, um, what little they would teach would be psychology and refer out rather than seeing that as a role of the church. That's a good question. Yeah well i just mentioned that i actually so i'll give a personal story and then i'll segue to your question so i went into business in my 20s even though i wanted to be a pastor because i thought elders should be older jesus waited till he was 30 to start his public ministry and then i'm in saudi arabia working as a businessman and the guy gets kicked out and there was no better option (laughs) i mean you know you had name it claim it charismatics or i mean when they asked me to do it, I had to do it. And you can be young and mature beyond your years, and you can be old and immature beneath your years. And, and so there, I would even most, the older women, younger women from Titus too. I think you have m- women who are very mature who are younger who may be able to instruct women who are less mature who are older It takes some courage for the younger one and some humility for the older one. Uh, I mean, Caroline, when she started doing this, uh, she wasn't that young, she looks really young, but anyway, uh, she would be afraid like she she got thrown in. We had so many cases where she was spending two days a week almost full-time counseling people while she was getting her certification. And she was saying, this can be overwhelming, she had a prostitute, she has same-sex attracted people, she's got all these bizarre things going on. I said, well, if I had anybody better, I would let them do it, you're the best I've got, you know, and, and she was learning while she did it. And so, obviously, if, if you have a bunch of women, it's like churches with elders, it'd be nice if every church had people in their 50s and 60s who were ready to be elders, you don't always have that. And so I think, and I think a wise younger woman who knows the Bible well, is living it out in her life, can have a great impact. You know, if you have a church with lots of mature older women, then maybe you've got younger girls that she can still help. I mean, that's one of the challenges in our program. We have a lot of younger women getting master's degrees in counseling. And then, you know, where are they going to fit in? And but the need is so great. Right now, we need mature women to care for women. There are so many women who are desperately in need of a wise friend. And there are women in crisis who need someone who can speak the truth to them and not just tell them what they want to hear. And if I were a greedy man, I could rent her out and make a lot of money <laughs> to uh, sell her to the highest bidder of the churches in our area and I could retire. <laughs> that enough? Good. You want me to pray? <laughs> yes, please. Father in heaven, we thank you for your church that's been established through Christ who bought us with his own blood. We thank you that you've given the church what we need. You've given us your word, your spirit. Uh, The church is sufficient for what you've called the church to do with our our leaders, with gifted people, men and women. Help us and our churches to be faithful. Help leaders to be faithful to shepherd the sheep and to equip others to participate in that. We pray that you would raise up godly, wise women to care for the other women, uh, less mature, very needy. We pray, Lord, for the churches around in this area, throughout our state, throughout our country, where they have leaders who believe the Bible, who preach the gospel, and yet they don't understand these responsibilities they don't have the confidence in your word they don't have the sense of their calling lord we pray that you would stir them up and that you would provide the necessary means that they could be equipped and lord for the direction of the counseling ministries and the churches in this area give give wisdom give expansion help us to be faithful we know in many ways we will fall short and we pray lord that you would Again, strengthen our confidence in your word. We pray that we would have the joy of seeing you work. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.